So welcome once again to another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Uh, my name's Scott, and if you've not listened to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, you're very welcome. Uh, so each time out, I am joined by one or more uh, other members of the Monkey See family. Uh, this week, I am joined by uh, Mr. Kevin Haney. Hello there. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I hope you're all well too. I am indeed. Thank you very much. And, <laughs> of course, the long-standing Mr. Christopher Commander. Hello. Hello, Chris. How are you keeping? Am I long-standing? Am you I are, that tall? You are, well, you're, uh, you're, you're deceptively tall. <laughs> I am deceptively tall. Yeah. Standing it's long. just the thinness. It's, yeah. It is. <laughs> and we were talking before we started recording about random tangents. There's one. There you go. <laughs> you're welcome. We've started off well. So what we do on the podcast is we get together and we talk about what we've been watching, including some of the recent releases, uh, some of the things flying under the radar, and when we get opportunities, some all-time classics. Uh, every now and again, we also drag out some of the much maligned films and try and defend them or build them up, uh, as well as our regular pitch battles and our always expanding Tracks of the Trade movie score playlist. Mm. So, first things first, gentlemen... How are you both keeping? What have you been catching up with recently? Well, I'll, I'll go first if that's all right. I've been watching a lot of yeah. a, lot, a lot of kind of like TV. Now I'm I'm a kind of technically a key worker, so I'm sort of back at work at the moment. So my time in front of the TV is slightly limited. So mm-hmm. I'm um, making the most of it. So to, um, I have been watching a few sort of like classics, going back and revisiting. I've uh, revisited Bill and Ted. Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure recently and then Bill and Ted Face the Music just to kind of like bookend that which was quite nice and I did what um, Southland Tales the um, I say you know, much criticised Richard Kelly film as he's, it was like follow up to Donnie Darko from back from 2006 yes. or seven, I think it was so I might talk a little bit more about that later um, definitely but, but yeah yeah. other than that really I've been kind of like see, there's been lots of stuff coming up there's a lot of stuff on Netflix that seems to be appearing and I just need to kind of like find the time to watch them I think that's the problem is I kind of I watch it and I go oh that's an evening movie oh that's a Sunday afternoon movie oh that's you know and then I end up not watching as much as I should I should just as soon as they appear and I see an opportunity to see them just watch them that's what I should do but I like to put time aside for the, the, the movies that you think are going to pack a bit more weight you know absolutely yes I certainly I know in the next couple of weeks we've got uh, Malcolm and Marie coming up on Netflix with Zendaya and John David Washington that's been getting really strong positive advanced word of mouth so and that's that's definitely appointment viewing as uh, as we've discussed in the past so the sort of thing that uh, want to sit down and make sure give give kind of the full attention to by contrast I think it's actually being released on the same day uh, we have the the new Gerard Butler saves the world movie in Greenland so Gerard <laughs> Butler versus the comets uh, which is releasing on Amazon Prime on the same day so I think we're going to two opposite ends of the uh, the film spectrum there but uh, Greenland has been getting some uh, some fairly decent reviews so I will oh, really? be uh, checking yeah I'll be checking that out as uh, as a bit of a loud guilty pleasure <laughs> I did al- I did also rewatch Galaxy Quest as well I've not seen that in a while and it was a pleasure oh, to read oh I love Galaxy Quest it's such a good film <laughs> it really is uh, yeah I, I it's what it it's great comfort viewing it's something that I could quite happily rewatch numerous times and have rewatched watched numerous times it's funny she mentioned uh, Bill and Ted's uh, Kev because I uh, took time out to watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey oh right lovely just a couple of weeks ago uh, which 
a confession time. That's the first time I've actually managed to watch it all the way through. I'd seen snippets of oh, it, wow. but just never taken the time to actually sit down and watch it and with Face the Music now available on streaming. I wanted to make sure I'd got the full Bill and Ted's experience. Wow, that's and amazing that you've never watched it all the way through. That's this was a formative movie of my childhood, that one. Yeah. And I Station <laughs> Station. I uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. I I, I think I, I I when I first watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I really, really enjoyed it. I think with with age and time, I enjoyed it less the last time I watched it. It's still lots of fun. But I think I enjoyed Bogus Journey as an experience, as a, as a f- more complete film, more. Uh, right. But I'm really looking forward to face the music now. So I, I feel like I'm I'm prepped and I'm ready. Um, <laughs> so Kev, uh, you were saying about Southland Tales because that's one that I never actually got round to watching. I did well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that briefly, and then we'll hear what Chris has been uh, been listening, yeah. uh, watch it, watching rather. Um, yeah. So uh, you might remember back in uh, well, let's see, Donnie Darko kind of like pretty much redefined the genre or created the genre, didn't it? Really, of a weird yeah. kind of like mind bending. I suppose you, you wouldn't really call it horror, would you? Back in the but it was it was something original, certainly back it's in. Close. The day. It was very very on the edge of horror, though, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of felt the um, it, it kind of sort of fell into the sort of the definition of a cult movie because I think they made the mistake of mm. marketing it in the states as a horror movie, releasing it during Halloween um, it really underperformed because it wasn't quite what people were expecting when they were going to watch their slashes so um, when it finally got released over here because I think I heard about it and got it on region one DVD way ahead of it being released in the UK um, I kind of like really enjoyed it and thought it was amazing and uh, Richard Kelly then went on to do a kind of director's cut release of it didn't he and it was kind of at the time yeah. everyone's like Richard Kelly is the hot new talent and uh, we're much interested to see what what he follows it up with so he got a bit more of a budget and then he decided to um, write and direct Southland Tales, um, which initially was a nine-part. Well, there was like nine stories, um, and the idea was was they I think they were going to tell six stories through graphic novels and uh, internet. Uh, and, and online like on a website in the lead up to the film's release and then the film such as it was released was going to be the final three tales it kind of i think they knocked it down to six and then when south and tales was eventually released um a lot of people hadn't gone in with i mean i would say back in 2007 it probably wasn't as common a thing to do that um it's probably around like the cold book job which was the inception kind of prequel wasn't it around 2010 that people really understood that you could do that kind of stuff online outside yeah. of the blair witch kind of like 10 years previous um mm-hmm. so th- there's almost like a lot of prep that you had to do which is why it got um I-, I think it got some pretty poor reviews at the time but you might remember back in um i think the year before it came out it got its premiere at the Cannes film festival everyone was really excited about it and there was a big long three-hour cut that everybody hated um, I think that was in Cannes, kind of like, I think it was like the, oh, when was Cannes? That would have been like kind of like the April, May maybe of 2006. It then yeah. didn't get released until, theatrically, until um, sort of like the end of December 2007. So they went yeah. away and they took a year to recut, re-edit and re-release it. Now, Southland Towers has recently got a kind of all singing, all dancing Blu-ray release from the Arrow guys, and they spent a lot of effort in it. But this is the first time that the actual can cut in its entirety has been made available. So you've got the can cut, the theatrical cut, you've got some additional commentaries, additional documentaries. So at that point, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go back and watch this, see how how it is, because before I invest in 20 plus pound for the Blu-ray, I'm going to see if I I remember it, you know, and I I remember watching it at the time and kind of coming out and going, that was a bit disappointing but this time i will say i enjoyed it more 
but not to the degree that I would recommend it to people. I'd recommend it if you're interested to see what Richard Kelly did. I mean, there's a lot of kind of sort of mind bending and interpretations and all of that kind of stuff you can take away from it if you can be bothered. Now, bearing in mind, this was back when The Rock was cast as kind of like the lead. He was the first time he was credited without The Rock as like Dwayne Johnson. Um, And he's obviously, he seems very uncomfortable all the way through it. You've also got Sean William Scott, you've got Sarah Michelle Gellar, you've got Justin Timberlake, and you've got most of the kind of like the support cast of Donnie Darko popping up. And Mandy Moore as well, she pops up. Um, And John Lovitz, oddly. Um, I I think at the time, Richard Kelly was very much like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to find people and cast them against type, which is why probably he decided to cast Dwayne Johnson in the kind of lead role at the time. Um, And uh, yeah, what you've got is a kind of a mess of a movie that's admirable, looks great, but you come out of it with the kind of confusion that you had at Donnie Darko, but you kind of get the reason, you kind of get the feeling when you come out of Donnie Darko that you're kind of like, that was great, I've seen something amazing, I'm going to go away and unpack it. Whereas with Southland Tales, you come out and go, okay, I think Donnie Darko may have been a fluke. I mean, Richard Kelly then, <laughs> went, then went on to do The Box, didn't he? Which is a little bit more kind of mainstream. Yeah. Um, but I would say Southland Tales remains, I think, even now, um, after reassessment, an admirable failure. There's a lot more going on in it than I would probably give it time to think about. But um, ultimately, I don't think as a film it really stands together. It's an interesting thing, particularly when you, you've got that kind of 13, 14 years gap between the initial release and re-watching it. Because you sometimes find that some of these films, because it really wasn't a very successful film at all i think it, it cost them like 15 million to make and made about three hundred thousand dollars at the u.s box office yeah it was a big flop. it was, it was a, a significant flop but sometimes with the benefit of kind of the removal from the hype you know with it being the the follow-up to donnie darko for richard kelly that sometimes with that degree of separation sometimes these films can be reassessed and actually you you gain a new appreciation for them so it's it's always worth visiting kind of these these interesting noble failures from time to time and just see how they've aged and see how they kind of sit in the landscape now so yeah i think box aside if anyone was to watch Donnie darko and i advise people to go and watch Donnie darko if you've not seen it, it, it years from now people will go whatever happened to richard kelly southland towers would be the answer it's not one i it's not one i saw at the time i think mostly put off by the, the largely negative reviews but i, I don't think it's something i'm going to be chasing back down to to watch it's got a hell of a soundtrack though oh hell i can imagine soundtrack. A quick question: Did Kelly have anything to do with uh, the Donnie Darko sequel? I know because there's there's a new talks of like a sequel, sequel, but they did S Darko, <laughs> which was based on his sister thing. S Darko, yeah, that was not. Um, I, I think maybe if he did, it would have been in kind of like you know character rights kind of way. But oh, I okay. certainly don't. I don't think he uh, had anything to do with putting that together. No, I mean looking at the credits, there's nothing directly with his, with the screenplay or with the production or the direction. Whether he had a executive producer credits um hmm. no he's I, actually I, I can tell you now he stated that he had no involvement with s darko <laughs> <laughs> he made that very clear I yeah like he made it very clear he hasn't <laughs> read the script and had absolutely no involvement with the production nor will i ever be involved wow is the okay, direct yeah. oh wow okay the direct quote so that was, that was fairly uh, fairly emphatic <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. there are there are talks of a new one apparently right. apparently james cameron has inspired him to revisit the works of donnie darko or the world of donnie darko <laughs> i should say 
Um, oh. In terms of what I've been watching, oh god, I've I've been kind of um, a bit recluse with my with my viewings recently. I've wa- I've started to watch as as I think all three of us have. Uh, One Division, which is coming out every week. Yes, which is you know, it's its own entity. It's kind of a hard thing to describe, really. I mean, a continuation of the MC extended universe, I should say. Yeah, it's got its it's certainly got its merits, and it's 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 more of a curiosity at the moment. It's sort of I'm tuning in every week to just to be like, okay, where should we go this week? What's where's <laughs> what's happening? So I don't I don't know I I don't know I don't I kind of don't have an opinion. I'm enjoying it, and I'm enjoying having something release every week that I can kind of be like, oh, it's a Friday. Yes, let's watch a thing. Yeah, that's exciting. That's uh, yeah, I, I'm enjoying that as well. That aspect of like, oh, it's Friday. There's a new one on. Yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah. Nice. I I went back. Uh, <laughs> been playing Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> oh wow, which is uh, one of my favorite uh, games of all time, and because they've just released. <laughs> Uh, a Red Dead Online, which I've bought. It's very cheap at the moment. And so it's made me revisit Westerns a lot. Okay. Um, and, and to catch up on some Westerns that I, I hadn't seen because I, I hold back with new Westerns and I know I shouldn't. Um, I, for some reason, I'm just like, oh, old Westerns are the best. You know, for some reason, my brain just goes, you know, Cincinnati kid. Well, in a, uh, <laughs> in a few weeks' time, uh, we've got a brand new Western with Tom Hanks, uh, directed by Paul yes. Greengrass, The News of the World. A- so, Yes, exactly, which Netflix. is sort of part of the reason. And so I've revisited some that I um, were on the periphery and I hadn't watched. So I watched Slow West a couple of days ago. Oh, oh yeah, great um, film. Which is a wonderful film. Beautifully paced, it's really simple. It's got a very clear direction. Michael Fassbender leads it and the, and the and the setting is gorgeous. It's 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 a lovely, it's a lovely film. And I love the end and it's just, you know, it's a great film. So if if you're in like kind of a westerny mood, Watch Slow West. It's well paced. I was pleasantly surprised. And I know that doesn't surprise anyone because, you know, people said really good things about it, but I just hadn't watched it. Um, And I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now, I know it's going to be coming up in a future podcast because we've we've planned it to discuss close to the release date. But uh, when Star is released on Disney Plus, have you had the opportunity to watch the movie Tombstone, Chris? <gasps> I haven't seen Tombstone yet, oh my so that goodness. will be part. That will be part of our Disney Plus. It will thing. So yes, uh, definitely. So if you've not seen uh, Tombstone, uh, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer on top form, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Michael Bean. It's a it's a hell of a cast, and it's a retelling of the White Earp story. And it's uh, yeah, I, I have a ton of time for it. It's great. For- oh, good. Think, oh, that'll think- be something to look forward to. On the subject of westerns, my favourite western of recent years is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I thought that was absolutely superb, with an amazing um, Nick Cave score as well. So I'd recommend that if you've not seen it. Okay. Oh, look at this. Yeah. Oh, it's like I've come to a film podcast to get film things. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You can always come to us for recommendations, Chris. Oh, thank you, thank you, and hopefully our viewers can too, or our listeners can too. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's what I that's what I've been mainly. Uh, viewing, kind of going back and seeing I've been in a very western mood so I'm seeing more and more stuff so thank you for the recommendation. You're very welcome uh, from uh, from my movie watching perspective, we've got a few reviews that will be coming up shortly of some of the things that I've been watching recently but uh, myself and the lovely Kevin 
over here actually took the time out uh, despite your recommendation in the last episode to maybe not pay the premium cost to rent you didn't you didn't <laughs> heed my warning to rent wonder woman 1984 uh, we still did it and uh, we won't i think it was just a, we just wanted to see a film that was new that was kind of you know it felt like a blockbuster thing i rented it on a saturday night and i wanted it to be kind of you know i i, I wanted i wanted to witness a film that we've been seeing trailers for so long yeah you know? that's yeah. what it was i think just one quick word before we carry on on the subject of the trailers i have to say the wonder woman 84 trailer the first one that was released last year is one of the the best trailers for me for the last couple of years for no other reason than that absolutely banging cover of blue monday the orchestral version that's on we, there i just you and i were that. you and i were in the you may have seen it before i did but you and i went to the cinema and that was the first time i had seen it the trailer yes. for it and uh yeah i was blown away by it too it had the reminiscent kind of yeah. um the original suicide squad trailer which was gorgeous as well yeah so that was when we went to see birds of prey that's r- oh that's right Al- that's right almost yeah. Almost yeah. a year ago. If only, if only Wonder, Wonder Woman 1984 had been more like the, that trailer. That trailer promised so it much. Really yes. did. It really yeah. did. Yeah. So we won't dwell on it too much. Suffice to say, I, I don't think it rocked either of our worlds. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but we've seen it, and and a time was had. <laughs> are you are you reinforcing my indeed. thing that I said last time about maybe don't pay full price for it? Well, funnily enough, it's actually getting a DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming release in March. So if you are listening, oh, you're fine. Go are, for it. Take yeah, it. if you are, if you are really keen to watch Wonder Woman 1984, give it about another six weeks <laughs> from the point <laughs> yeah. that we're releasing, and pay slightly less for for the rental. Uh, it's um, I the first half of the film I enjoyed. I I almost felt that there were moments sort of towards the beginning that felt almost a little bit like the Richard Donner Superman film in that kind of bright, <laughs> hopeful, 80s, 70s, 80s kind of vibe about it. Um, and I, I I quite enjoyed the first half of it, but I, I felt like it really ran out of steam. It ran out of a slight amount of coherence, uh, despite everybody's best efforts. And sadly, I, I, was, willing, I was willing it to be a, a, a good DC film, because I'm... I still don't dislike it as much as I dislike Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, but it's it wasn't. I, I wasn't a fan. The Snyder Cut is upon us yeah. soon, isn't it? It is, and I'm. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried about the hype. I don't know how well it can be rescued. Now, I I don't like to be negative on this <laughs> podcast. You know, it, it, it's, it's right, not my, that's what it's I'm not my for. thing. Um, but I have a real skepticism about it and i think it's brilliant under the circumstances that Zack Snyder's getting the opportunity to complete the vision that he wanted with the film and as a, as a human being and as a filmmaker that, you know i think accomplishment wise it's great yeah my issue is we've seen the bare bones of the film as it is and we've seen man of steel and we've seen batman versus superman and there's not a lot there in terms of uh, that what he's bringing to the, the the DC universe that really makes me excited for it. I'm definitely going to watch it because I'm really curious. Yes. And I I really want it to surprise me. I really want to come out the other side of it and go, actually, you know what? I I enjoyed that because I watched the original Justice League when it was released at the cinema, and while not 
enjoying it I, I i wasn't ever bored by it i think I, I had an entertaining time but once i started to think about it i started to dislike it a lot more i wonder if that's half of the interest in it though the fact of like it's a new like it's it had so much secrecy around it and and it was never going to get released and all the actors yeah. stood up for it and and so is i, I <laughs> wonder if part of that hype and part of the excitement is purely just the sake of seeing this the end result in all of the mishaps that had happened yeah does anyone know uh, does anyone know how we're going to be able to see it over here when it's initially released it's or we not, have to wait a bit it's not been announced as far as i'm aware yet there is an expectation that we will still be able to to see it what form that takes i don't know uh, my if i was to hazard a guess because i know there are some of the hbo max series that appear on sky atlantic whether there's going to be an agreement with someone like Sky to, to show it as part of a subscription service or whether it's going to be a premium rental in the similar way that they're going to be doing uh, potentially premium rentals for the other HBO Max movies that they're going to be showing this year. I honestly don't know. That's just that's just conjecture. Uh, as soon as it's either free or at the lowest price possible, unless the reviews are absolutely stellar for it, I will I will watch it, but it's a four hour commitment to uh, to watch. So it's it's it, that's proper appointment viewing. Uh, yes, because a lot of HBO stuff is uh, on Now TV and Sky Atlantic. Mm. So that's uh, we'll see, I guess. Uh, yeah, like you say, we'll see. But I, again, I'm just I'm reticent to get too excited about it because a I've been burnt before with pretty trailers for DC movies and. <laughs> Yeah, the first Wonder Woman. Yeah, we just we literally just spoke about that, didn't we? Indeed. I think it's the. I, I think with DC, really, I think always, always go in with low expectations yeah. and see what happens. Well, that's. I mean, after after the first few films, Wonder Woman was such a, a palate cleanser. I think I enjoyed Aquaman in a in a kind of a this is ridiculous, but hey, they look like they're having fun kind of way. Yeah, it was, it was quite refreshing. Shazam, I thought was great. And I think I've probably discussed this before. I just, it, again, it was in a completely different realm. It was fun and refreshing in a family movie with a really, really dark bit in the middle that really pushed that 12 rating. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed Shazam. But I, I just, I just like to see them achieve the consistency. And I know it, it's not fair to necessarily compare. Uh, with the MCU, but they're trying to achieve the same thing. I just, I just want good films. Just that's that's what I want. I want good films and good movie going experiences. Do you so hear I, that, filmmakers? I, we just want good that's, films. That's all. That's that's all we want. And and <laughs> so I'm not I'm not going to be unduly negative. I, I'll be pessimistic, or I'll be uh, you know I, I'm not going to call a film before it comes out until I've actually watched it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be negative about it unless there is something fundamentally wrong with the the viewing experience. But I I don't want to bring down films before they've come out. I just I've been burnt before. So I, I just... uh, and also <laughs> before before we get on to our lovely reviews, can we start putting the dance the floss in films, please? Please let's not stop flossing, everyone. I mean, floss your teeth, <laughs> but don't yeah. floss. That'll oh, date, that will date, date oh, the film. Yes, it will. I, I, it took me a moment to catch up with what you were talking about. Then you meant the the, the dance, the, yes. the dance, the floss. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> moving on to our reviews. Fantastic. <laughs> 
I thought it was a piece of I thought it was a piece of music or something like that that was like <laughs> some kind of like old sort of like Beethoven yeah. piece or something. Uh, and I was like, I do not like I do not know dance dance flowers. Beethoven's Duff Loss. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so moving on to some of the newer films that we've been watching. Uh, I've managed to watch all three of our films that we're reviewing uh, this evening. The first of which I managed to catch earlier in the week, uh, which is uh, Netflix's The White Tiger, uh, directed by Raman Barani. And is so the, the basic story is centred around Balram who is from a poor village. His whole life, he, he has ambitions to become a servant for one of the rich families, the, one of the uh, the landlords of the villages. Uh, and the, his story, which opens with him in a slightly more elevated position than we find him in as the story progresses. And it's him telling his story, basically to the, the Prime Minister of China who is coming to visit India uh, to try and sell himself as a, an entrepreneur and to kind of break down that boundary between China and India and, and open up the relationships for, uh, with him as an entrepreneur. And so the, the story is it's basically him recounting the tale of how he got to where he was. So him, using his ambition, uh, finds a way to, to drop himself into a, a driver's job for the son of the landowner, the landlord for his village. And things start to spiral from there. And it's a really interesting story. It shares a little bit of the, the kind of the DNA of something like parasites in the the kind of the rich versus poor there's that vibe around it that you're looking at somebody that is impoverished that is wanting to improve their status and improve their quality of life and it's not on the same it's not in the same sphere as as parasite in terms of of quality it does there's there's a kind of a feeling about it again not quite on the same level of a slumdog millionaire although it does make one joke at one point that uh it's quite knowing in that narration at one point that he says what do you think there's a a million rupee quiz show that will get me out of this or something to that effect so it's it's quite knowing in that respect it's quite witty and it's quite uh it's quite satirical and it does get progressively darker i think where it's where the film starts off <laughs> in kind of developing balram's story is really really interesting and i think as you watch him develop and get deeper and deeper into this into this life and see his ambitions starting to grow that uh, actually he doesn't want to necessarily be in this position anymore uh, and doesn't necessarily want to be treated in the absolutely appalling way that he's treated not necessarily well slightly by his direct boss but his father and uh, his his boss's brother are both particularly brutal to him at points, sort of verbally and physically, and you can you can sort of feel this frustration and this this yearning to to be more than he actually is growing. One of the the great things I think uh, I think it's Ardash Gurav who plays Balram is is great. His kind of transformation throughout the course of the film, he starts with this real beaming toothy smile. And the, these real the kind of starstruck looks at the, these people that he wants to work with, and he keeps sort of referring to them as as his family and his fathers and his uncles, and uh, really wanting to feel that appreciation from the, this kind of higher caste. And there's that division, that sort of higher caste and low caste. You've either got money or you haven't got money, and that's that's how it kind of spells out the 
the two casts with it. I think where the film, ironically, sort of feels like it loses a bit of its bite is where things start to take a darker turn, which is normally where a film would start to get a little bit more interested. Because we know from what's sort of bookending the film of where Balram ends up, it loses a little bit of the the suspense around what's going to happen. But also, you get the feeling that this sort of growing rage and frustration within him that when there are a couple of moments in the film that where things sort of turn for him that they don't feel as, as visceral maybe as you would expect and it doesn't necessarily feel as satisfying that's not to kind of do the film down i really really enjoyed it i thought white tiger was was a, a really worthwhile film i just wish it, it just sustained that kind of head of steam that it built up uh that story and and uh, you know, on a few levels, you know, the story itself and that, that kind of undercurrent of the rich versus poor and ambition and watching this quite, you know, really smart character start to improve his station. There, there are moments that are really satisfying around that. And again, it's really well shot. Yeah, it, it, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I say, just wish it had just a little bit more punch towards the end, but well worth watching. All right, lovely stuff. Yeah. That's on Netflix, yeah? That's on Netflix, yes. And so the second of our films, and this is one that both me and Kev have watched, uh, is Regina King's directorial debut. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime at the moment. It's One Night in Miami. Yeah, this is a good one. A fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown gather discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 1960s. I think this is based, isn't it, on a play, stage play, One Night in Miami. Yes. Which is written by Kemp Powers, who wrote this screenplay. That's Kemp Powers of Soul. Um, Indeed. Soul notes here, isn't it? What a so couple he, of months. Yeah, what a couple of months he's had, yeah. yeah. I think this is the se- the second kind of like film with this like a mainly African American cast mm. that's come out with potential Oscar buzz, um, like you know in, in as many months. We've like, we spoke about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, didn't we? Yeah. Um, couple, last cast, I think it was. Uh, was it last cast? Yes, it, yeah, it, it was, was the last cast. And there's yeah, there's, so there's another like two there. Yeah, and there's okay. another one coming out uh, very shortly. Uh, so Judas and the Black Messiah, which has got. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya in and is around uh, somebody trying to infiltrate the uh, Black Panther Party. So I think that's that's been getting Oscar buzz as well. So it's sort of in between the three films, it's, you know, those kind of civil rights and sort of black driven stories that are getting yeah. great buzz and you know great word of mouth yeah the the uh, the, the cast in this are absolutely superb but yeah. um i think regina regina king this is like what she what i had no idea really that she was going to go into the world of um directing no and she kind of for, for what i know you know obviously me keeping up with her career as it were has kind of i'd fallen off the radar for a little bit so when i saw her you know when i heard about this because i think it's london film festival they mentioned this last year yeah. um i was like well that's gonna sound interesting a film that's very i'd say testosterone driven but it's all kind of like quite especially when you're dealing with the kind of black right civil rights movement it's, it's that kind of thing as with malcolm x and everything you think wow you know to have a female director i wonder what that's going to do yeah. well, and um sorry go on. yeah i was just gonna say most recently i think because uh, she was uh, central to the watchman tv series on sky atlantic last year so going from well from yeah I, I, I think... to that again it's it's a hell of a year that she's uh you know a, a really well regarded successful tv series to 
following in the footsteps, I'd say, female actresses moving behind the camera and having great success along the lines of you know, Olivia Wilde with Booksmart and Greta Gerwig with Little Women and Lady Bird. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I would assume that a lot of the inspiration came because she was in a couple of years ago, 2018, she was in If Bill Street Could Talk. Yes. And that, again, was that kind of thing where it's like you could see that path kind of going in there. I don't, I'm not, I, I didn't really know much about the Watchmen TV show, but cinematically, and, and it, yeah. it seems like it, this would be a natural progression for her. Absolutely. But to then go from that to behind the camera it is amazing, especially with a film like this. It is very, like we spoke about with Mar Marini's Back Bottom, it has got that kind of, it feels, it does feel it's very stagey. It feels like a play, and there are the moments that they try to expand it to make it feel a little bit more cinematic. Yeah. But I think this even you know when compared to Ma Rainey this feels that it needs that more kind of intimate drive majority it's, of it takes place literally in a motel room yeah. and it, it kind of you know it works though because this is all this would make a great audio play actually it, mm. it's a great you know the dialogue's good it's punchy the characters relationships though fictional you get the feeling that these kind of conversations would have taken place at some point Absolutely. just not on the same line. you know Absolutely. I, yeah I've I didn't. I didn't think it would grab me as it did, and I, you know, I was just kind of like when I put it on, I sat down, and watched it, and then I was, I was in it. It was terrific. Yeah, oh, it, it is. It is absolutely terrific. Um, I think one of the things that, in terms of the direction between this and Marani's Black Bottom, because there is that that kind of shared stage play DNA that they've got between them. I, I felt like this felt a lot more fluid, and it felt like an intimate film rather than a stage play that was being filmed. In terms of kind mm. of the, the performances and the way it was, the way it was set, uh, but yeah, I, you know, across the board, the four, uh, the four central performances, uh, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I think you, you've basically got four star-making performances there because uh, Kingsley Benadir as Malcolm X, who was great, um, Eli Gorey as Cassius Clay, again, great, really charismatic performance. Uh, I thought Aldis Hodge as Jim Brown was he was the one that kind of captured me because he just had this real charisma and calm centre to the film I think between him and, uh, and Kingsley Benadir they were they were the two performances that I really kind of was drawn to and then Leslie Odom Jr as uh, Sam Cooke and taking full advantage of the fact that Boyd's got a serious set of pipes on him because uh, if you've seen uh, Hamilton on Disney Plus uh, he's obviously in that and is a hell of a singer taken obviously the skills that he's got and he's a he's a really really great actor as well i think there's that there's a central discussion that occurs between sam cook and the malcolm x character in it that's absolutely that's that's really the point that kind of dragged me into the film and kind of held me there because the discussions and the the arguments on both sides and it, like you say kev these are arguments and discussions that will have happened at that time in various ways of the, during the civil rights movement how these men in these positions changed the world and changed their world and changed their their place in the world and it was yeah absolutely fascinating and really like you say absorbing yeah terrific uh, yeah I, I really liked it i really liked it yeah definitely i completely agree and so finally moving on to the third of our films and this is one that chris has seen as well yes it is uh, so we've got uh, the very very recently released the dig which is currently on netflix now the dig is uh so directed by simon stone and a hell of a cast uh Oof. with 
Carey Mulligan, uh, Ray Fines, Lou James, Johnny Flynn, Ben Chapman, Ken Stott. Uh, yeah, really, really great cast. Chris, what did you make of The Dig? Well, first of all, The Dig is about the discovery of the Sutton Hoo, yes. which was an archaeological dig in Suffolk. The film itself is about uh, the Sutton Hoo find, which was an archaeological dig in Suffolk. And about the re- the film is about the relationship between, well, I should say the relationship between the dig, the digger, uh, who is played by Ralph Fiennes, and the lady who owns the land, uh, Mrs. Yes. Pretty, who is who is played by Kerry Mulligan. It is a a charming, poetic film. Is I think what I came out from it feeling. It's very gentle. Uh, it deals. It's on the. It's on the cusp of the war, 1939, and there's the overarching feel that you know war is going to hit at some point. Therefore, the digs are in danger. I. I mean, I. I'm slightly biased because I have a massive crush on Carrie Mulligan uh, <laughs> after seeing her first, the Sally Sparrow in Doctor Who, and then watching her in in in, a, in an education, which is a gorgeous film. I yeah. I I, re- I really enjoyed it. The, it felt at some points that there was some forced depth to it that I didn't feel mm. like the tone of the film lent itself to. Um, yeah. It was much more gentle on those sorts of bits than I assumed that the drama would be. It's funny that we talk about, uh, funny that you were saying about the, the previous film feeling like a play. Because this, this is based on a book by John Preston and um, it has the same sort of feel to it. This close-knit mm. cast I could see this being done on stage the same way sort of Goodnight Mr. Tom uh, feels. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I I, I did. I came away really enjoying it. The end is is fairly abrupt, but there isn't much more to the story after the dig is dug. No, well, exactly, exactly. And and that's really the centerpiece. It's the the discovery that's kind of the center to it. There's obviously the character relationships that, that go on around it. Would you say, I, I don't know if this is an unfair comment on the dig, but I felt like... Are you having a dig at the it dig? Was, I'm not having a dig at the dig, <laughs> that it felt like a Sunday afternoon movie. Okay, I can sort of see that. Yes, it is a... It is a vi- I, I, I get what you're saying with that. It is... Kind of comfort movie, you sit down with tea and biscuits and... Yes, and enjoy... Just, just enjoy some really good class performances by everyone Absolutely. even the yes. kid was great in this he was great so archie barnes who plays uh, robert pretty he was really really good i was yeah massively impressed i'm really glad that he as a child actor like you know as actors we would we would die for this chance but as a child actor to work with ralph fines because he has he has a scene with yeah. him outside um and i can only imagine even at that young age, what you absorb from from working with an actor like that, yeah, um, and I think that must have heightened his performance. And I think he's really lucky to that that scene happened with Ralph Fiennes um, yeah. because it's a it's a turning point in in the kid's life as well. And to Definitely. be sort of mentor acted during that <laughs> scene, I know that's kind of meta in terms of of what the kid was feeling. Um, but you know, you work with you 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 thrive to work with people who are better than you, and therefore raise your game. And I think that's going to be invaluable to that kid. I thought there were some things in it that I that I really that I really enjoyed. And technically, um, mm. there was some lovely moments of overlapping dialogue where the camera is focused on something that's not happening yeah. in the dialogue scene, and the yeah. over, and and the writing of that and the overlapping dialogue to describe two things that are happening simultaneously 
um, about Ralph Fiennes' characters and his feelings and, and where his relationship would like to be with Mrs. Pretty. And, and they do this thing where the dialogue describes two things that are happening, and, it, it, and it's gorgeous. And there are some, there was, there was a shot in it um, that I was hoping that it was going to stay on, and it's, it's a, it was a gorgeously shot, very simple movement of the camera, but the movement was organic to, to storytelling, and I love yeah. when cinematographers think all of that through. And Lily James is in it, and she's lovely. She has a really gorgeous scene with her husband, which I'm not going to go into spoilers about, but I know what you mean about it sort of being a Sunday film, but... It was really gentle and very easy to watch it, but the, like you say, the performances were so crisp and so so yeah. great. I thought Ray Fiennes was a very, very different role for him, very kind of muted with, with that Suffolk accent. Yeah. And he was, uh, yeah, it was a really lovely watchable performance. Carrie Mulligan was just fantastic oh. in it as oh. well yeah great and like you say about the, the visuals i thought the the way they captured the countryside was was beautiful I, and particularly at the beginning where it was very brightly sunlit and really hopeful and really warm at the and beginning then get, and yeah then you get those muted tones later it on it does as, nice. as the relationships and the characters develop some develop and disintegrate and the onset of war which is ever present specter and the, the visuals really dampen down from there quite literally in 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 some in some respects but uh, i thought that was really nicely done yeah and they drove some of that stuff home in terms of show don't tell in terms of uh at the beginning he's on a boat and he's he's coming to to land to first meet mm. uh mrs pretty and um there's just a moment where he looks up and sees the birds and, it, and in retrospect it's a lovely telling moment about what comes later on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it remarkable, but uh, you know, really, it's pleasant. a solid, it's a really solid film. Yeah, definitely, it worth. Like I say, if you, if you're needing a bit of easy watching on a, on an afternoon, and uh, yeah, you can't go far wrong. It's, the, the, you know, a little bit of class. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I'll check that out. Just talk about Carrie Mulligan and how amazing she is. I know I spoke about it. I think it was last podcast again about a promising young woman that should have been opening this month in the UK. Yes. Obviously, because of restrictions ongoing, it's now gone from its twelfth of February release date into just twenty twenty one when it's uh, yeah. listed as release date. So who knows? It's still it's streaming. If you're lucky enough to be in America, uh, it's had great reviews, and I uh, can't wait to see it. Yeah, so same here. It just looks like it's going to be a little bit more of a wait. Unfortunately, and with with a great many films, that I, some of the things we discussed last month have already announced delays. So hopefully, we'll get to see them eventually. Okay. So just to pick up on a film that we raised a, a couple of podcasts ago, because it recently launched on Amazon Prime, and Kev, you in fact this very day watched it. A Songbird. That's right. Yeah, 2020 Songbird, produced by Michael Bay, directed by Adam Mason, written also by Adam Mason, who's kind of known for horror, really. Now this is the film that will be go- going down as like the pandemic film yeah essentially the Mm. plot revolves around three years from now in 2024 the pandemic now evolved to covid 23 has um continues to ravage the world and its cities Uh, apparently we're still in the lockdown that we're in now (laughs) and um it basically takes yeah it takes place in los angeles um where a handful of people you kind of see um including demi moore and the wonderful um bradley whitford uh, who i think is terrific um yeah. uh, basically kind of and peter stormer very kind of like you know villainy um are essentially in their lockdown except there's a couple of people that are known as um the immune that basically can kind of roam free and basically seem to have jobs as delivery drivers where everyone else stays inside um and basically kind of uh, stays in and tries to kind of like you know wait until the pandemic dissipates if it's ever going to dissipate so that's 
essentially the plot. Is the film very good? Not really. It's probably as good as you would expect it to be. Is it opportunistic? I just want to point out that IndieWire, which I think is probably a review that kind of sums it up, but we won't discuss the film too much after this. For all its gimmicky appeal, Songbird is bad enough that your entire neighbourhood will be able to smell it streaming from your TV. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a cracking review, so credit to IndieWire for that. Um, so I watched it thinking, okay, well, I'm going to give it a punt, more for the case of I just want an opinion on it, because a lot of people have been mm. like, my, even myself, I think, when we spoke about it last year said I'm going to give that a wide berth why would I want to watch it but Curiosity got the better of me it was released on the 11th of December in the UK so I think there were a couple of cinemas that might have played it then it was on demand but now it's free on Amazon Prime so I had nothing really to worry about ah. in response to uh, you know you know, spending uh, money on it but yeah what do, what do you think guys what's, what's your opinion do you want to ask me any questions to save people either you know, making people want to go and see it out of curiosity or to give it uh, a swerve based on what, what we're saying what are your opinions yeah I mean, uh, the first thing is, I mean, at least as you've discussed before now, Kev, having that cultural capital of being able to say you've seen this and then be able to make a judgment on it. Yeah. You know, fair play to you. <laughs> it's, it's less than an hour and a half long, but if, yeah, if Curious gets to it, it's got some cool bits in it. It, look, it. it looks very Michael Bay produced in that sense of it's like cool camera angles and everything. Now, it was, it was, it was, the idea was conceived in May last year, so when we were in the initial pandemic. May 2020, mm. we all got a bit of a respite that summer, including the United States. So they actually filmed it, put it all together in July and August 2020. It was finished by October 2020. Wow, that's, that's when we started getting there. the trailers. So it was. So a lot of what's going on takes place in isolation. So you okay, kind so of, I, you, you, I, I do sorry. have a question for you then. Yeah. Uh, revolving around that concept... Yeah. Obviously, they, they, they filmed it and whatever regulations that they followed, they followed. Do you think it was wisely utilized in terms of did it have a message did, did, or were they just capitalizing on the fact that it's a pandemic movie during a pandemic? I think they're just capitalizing. There was no real message Ouch. other than the fact that it's kind of like, I think it's been, again, looking through the reviews and stuff like that, like unfavorably compared to like Romeo and Juliet in the sense of like it's a sort of tragic love story based around a load of events that are kind of going on. So it basically, it ticks all the boxes of saying things that we know nowadays, like, oh, they're wearing masks. Oh, they've talked about contamination. Oh, sanitize your hands, hygiene, all of that kind of stuff. So it's literally like they must have been going, oh, this will kind of get everybody going. It's almost like I think when this during lockdown one, when this film was obviously conceived and written, it was obviously very much a case of, OK, this stuff's still pretty scary. Whereas now I think we're just bored by it in that kind of sense. Obviously, everything that's kind of going on in the world at the moment in an odd way for us. And I think it's odd that the characters that are apparently three years ahead of us still aren't as you know as bored with it as we are, because they're still going through the motions. But sure. Yeah, other than like in the, in our houses, we've all got these little things now where we can pass stuff to each other, but it gets decontaminated by UV light. Like, so if if, it did, if the Amazon guy rocks up and it's like, here's a box, he'll put it into a little slot, it'll get decontaminated, and then you take it out, kind of thing. There's like, huh. you know, and and it's it's a kind of there's a black market for bands that say you're immune, so you can go and walk around outside and everything. Oh. It's kind of the, the idea is is that COVID's evolved, so it's it's far more. This is probably reassuring to us in a way covid's evolved to a point where it does more severe stuff quickly and it has to because it's a film you know what i mean it's a bit yeah, more like yeah. it's a bit more like the vx gas almost from uh, another michael bay film the um the rock in that kind of sense <laughs> where you kind of like it's like now it, it attacks your brain and it does this and it does that and you can say oh you know it's not that kind of thing where you would then you know it, it, it's not a slow thing in the sense of you know what's actually happening the threat's more immediate 
Um, so it's great if you think about it. If this is based on what's going on now, they still feel that they need to exaggerate what's going on. I mean, I, for one, think what's going on at the moment is as terrible as things can get. But it's good to know that Hollywood thinks things can get worse. You know what I mean? So that's, <laughs> that's, oh, kind, of, that's kind of where that's going. But yeah, it, it basically, it's just a, sequen- a load of sequences where people are kind of like, hey, let's play on this fear. Oh, okay, people are probably thinking this at the moment. Let's play on that. You know what I mean? So you've got drones flying See, around. I feel like that's pe- the wasted opportunity, though. I feel like if it's got this context you should you should use that and have a message yeah it's i mean it looks like a really kind of low budgety production anyway and it's i mean like most of the sequences you've got at most with exception of one what i'd call an action sequence in the middle um you've got like basically two characters talking to each other so you kind of get the feeling that they were no coming out the restrictions were there where they were like well these two people <laughs> i almost saw and i'm not convinced i didn't go back and look at it but i'm convinced that there was a sequence of dialogue taking place between two characters where there may have been glass between them that wasn't supposed to be there so i oh, don't know that's if, interesting it yeah. is interesting but i again i you know and i'm you know what kind of you know film journalist am i i'm not gonna go okay, back so, and look at so it. my final <laughs> my final question is um yeah. now that it is available for free on yeah. amazon prime yeah i mean obviously your prime membership included would you recommend it even I though w- even now it's free i think as a curiosity i think if you were to watch it uh, see like the opening sequence and then think to yourself okay yeah I don't really care about these characters to the point where you don't really care what happens to them <laughs> you, could, you, could, you, could, you could probably watch it get a, 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 a bit, in fact watch the trailer if you watch the trailer that's pretty much what it is okay. you know so I suppose the one thing it's got going for it is its trailer actually represents what it is you know okay it's, there's no, there's no Blue Monday or Wonder Woman about it, mate. It's all, it's all songbirds. So I'd say <laughs> watch it. Yep. And go. Okay. I, I think if it, if it's looked back or spoken about in the future, it will be more of a case of, hey, look what they did during the pandemic. Okay. It sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kev. It feels almost like the the way they've gone about writing this script is quite similar to way the way you know we had the rash of the spoof movies. Always like not not so much the early scary movies. Yeah, I know but what you mean. Things like Meet the Spartans and the Starving Games is. Uh, here's something you've seen in another film or something you're seeing in real life uh, we're just going to basically replay this because it's funny uh, yeah. it, it, does it feel almost a little bit like that in the way that they uh, yeah. you've seen this in real life let's turn it up a notch a bit like that in fact uh, to quote Chris from earlier the only thing missing from it is a flossing sequence <laughs> 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 that'll be in the director's cut <laughs> yeah I'm sure it will be <laughs> Oh, fantastic! Well, I don't think I don't think I'm going to be earning my cultural capital and uh, and taking time out to watch Songbird. But thank you for for taking that bullet for us, Kev. Okay, <laughs> no worries. And so we'll come to our, one of our regular features. It's time for our pitch battle. Lovely. And so, if you've not heard the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, the pitch battle is quite a simple premise. We are given an actor an object and a genre and we are given five minutes to come up with our very own pitches which we will pitch to one another and then you determine a winner in the comments or to yourself and we'll enjoy each other's creativity so that's the idea behind a pitch battle our contributor because we always throw this open to our friends of the podcast uh, to give us a pitch battle so if you want to comment on any of our social medias which i'll give you at the end uh, this week's pitch battle is uh, given to us by m from the verbal diorama podcast hello is, m. Uh, oh, cool. so hello m 
Hello, Em. Uh, so if you've not had a chance to listen to the Verbal Diorama podcast, it's brilliant. What she does is she takes a film per episode and digs back into the history and the making of and the themes of the film. So it's the podcast about movies you know and movies you don't. And I really do recommend it because she is a magnificently enthusiastic host and very, very knowledgeable. And she's also a lovely person to boot. So thank you very much for contributing this time out, Em. And so she has given us, for our actor... Are you ready, boys? I'm ready. Our actor is the lovely Charlize Theron. Mm. Our object is an umbrella. And our genre is a historical drama. Okay. So, are you ready? I'm going to get the timer set up. We'll have five minutes, but for you fair listeners, we'll be back in two seconds. So welcome back, gentlemen. Pens down. Who would like to present their pitch first? Shall I go today? Oh, I, I, you go first, man. I, I was, I didn't manage to accomplish it in that five. So I'm, I'm telling you, I'm putting my pen down now, but I'm going to okay. wait a bit. I believe in your <laughs> you powers guys, uh, of improvisation. Improv. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Her power and influence was unmatched. Her beauty was unrivaled. Her fury was unbridled. Her weapon of choice was Umbrella. Now this warrior queen is facing a horde of savage invaders with only her elite guard and her trusty brolly standing between her people and total domination. Charlize Theron in Reign of Terror. Ooh. I like, oh, I like it, the pun. Thank you very much. Rain spelled like rain? Uh, rain is spelled like rain. Or is it spelled rain like rain? Rain is spelled like rain, not rain, <laughs> but rain. Oh, okay. Rain, not rain. Gotcha. <laughs> Rugagain. Rugagain. Not, 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 not Rugagain. Rugagain. <laughs> rain is in precipitation. Okay. Precipitation. Uh, do you, would you like me to go next? Go for it, Christopher. Go for it, please. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> You've heard the songs. You've seen the dances. And you think you know the story. The dark history of the real Mary Poppins. Where did she come from with her mysterious talking umbrella? How many bad children has she got trapped in her bag? Find out what's behind the magic. Hear the tales of other survivors. Discover who this nanny really is. Charlie Theron in A Spoonful of Secrets. Nice. Well, well done, nice. sir. Thank you. <laughs> and finally, Mr. Haney. Okay, right, bear with. Here we go. It was a time of war. Over and over and over again. Charlie Theron, Academy Award winner in a sweeping historical epic. So sweeping, it encompasses the Battle of Hastings, World War One, World War Two, any other war that you can think of, the sinking of the Titanic, Pearl Harbor, and all other things, all times that were sent to try us. Times that were sent to try us are always worse when it's <laughs> raining. Charlie's Throng is Ella Umbridge in Umbrella. There you go. I thought. I thought. I figured that you know what times that are trying, like we're all in now, are worse when it's raining. They, they are indeed. But if you've got someone next to you with an yep. umbrella, it might not be as bad I like as that it is. Very much. <laughs> umbrella Ella. Ella, um, Ella Umbridge. I just pulled that name out of my backside <laughs> when, I was, when I was reading it. I was like, why well, call her Ella? She needs. A, she needs a surname. Umbridge. Umbrella. Umbrella Ella. <laughs> Brilliant. 
<laughs> well done. Well done, all of us, on that one. And uh, again, chime off in our comments. Let us know who you think won this week. And we come to our final regular slot of the week, which is our Tracks of the Trade Spotify playlist. Now, if you've not listened to Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, uh, Tracks of the Trade is, as I say, it's a regularly growing Spotify playlist uh, made up of pieces of movie score music that we as a team love. And from time to time, we open it up to you, our fair listeners, to give us your pieces of music as well. Each week, we add our pieces of music onto the playlist, and I'll make sure to share links and ways of being able to access the playlist after the episode so gentlemen have you picked your tracks for the week yeah indeed i have fantastic kev you went last with pitch battle do you want to go first with tracks indeed my track of the trade this week comes from the wonderful lemony snicket's a series of unfortunate events the jim carrey movie and uh wonderful score by the wonderful thomas newman who's probably most well known recently for the uh, american beauty Mm -hmm. score um, but this one is actually wonderful. It's, it's a great, it, it, it perfectly sums up the movie. Uh, it's uh, the end title track. It's called Drive Away. So Drive Away from a series of unfortunate events is absolutely terrific. And it's kind of one of those ones that you feel you can have as a ringtone on your phone. It's that kind of uh, that kind of track. Also as well, if you play it on a loop, and I think if you go on YouTube, you could probably find a loop of it. It sounds like one of those tracks, like a clock that kind of goes on mm. forever and ever and ever. And is uh, wonderful. It's great. If you watch uh, Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, check out the end credits. And um, the end credits are wonderfully animated. There's some really beautiful animation that's almost as good as anything in the film and this score accompanies it so I'd recommend it and I really enjoyed the film as well it was uh, such a lovely thing and good news Kev it's actually on Spotify this time around (laughs) (laughs) huzzah brilliant just to give you a little bit of context a couple of Kevin's previous uh, tracks of the trade haven't yet appeared on Spotify but as soon as they do I will be adding them to the list I'll tell you for why. I, I'm a an avid film score collector, and and the amount of money I pay for limited edition expanded film scores for films spanning all of my kind of like you know cinema journeys, if they were just available on Spotify, in a weird way, I'd probably be upset after the amount I paid for them. <laughs> so it's probably it's it's reassuring to know that there are some things that only I have in my physical media library. Fantastic, Christopher. What yes. are your tracks for the week? My track of the trade this week is from a film that I watched this week uh, from Slow West. Um, uh. Jed Kurzel, the uh, the composer, did uh, the score for the film, and um, it is one of the tracks called uh, Jay's Theme. It is the second track on the album. Um, it's it, it it's got sort of that repetitive nature. It's just one sort of just to have on in the background it's really nice and plodding and has a very sort of western feel you could imagine that you're on a a horse trotting to this song um <laughs> and so yeah if you want to close your eyes and imagine you're a old west hero that's kind of what i did that sounds absolutely lovely now there's a little bit of a story behind mine uh, for this week because uh, what i've been doing over the past month because i've taken leave of my senses is i've been trying to run the length of three marathons <laughs> for charity and uh, both at the end of my second and my third marathon my running playlist threw up this track as i was basically crossing the finish line and not only that it's a really really great bit of movie music it's a pretty well known one and i've been holding off putting it on here because it's kind of an obvious choice uh, but I've gone for uh, a track from 2019's uh, Avengers Endgame, 
as mm. soundtrack by the magnificent Alan Silvestri. And I've gone for the centrepiece piece of music in the film, Portals, which uh, you know I, I won't talk too much about the uh, uh, the moment that it occurs in the film uh, because. You know, I'm not sure what the statute of limitations is on spoilers for this. <laughs> I'm sure most people know already, but yeah, uh, but, it, but it's it's a, it's a harsh fan base. It is, it is indeed. But what I will say is, not only was it great for carrying me over the finish line after running an absolute ton of miles, it also during that moment in the film reminded me of one of the reasons why I love going to the cinema and why I invest so much in. In movies, because I sat through that whole sequence with this steadily growing grin on my face. Now, mm. I'm I I've never been a big Marvel comics fan per se. Um, I've, <gasps> I've, ne- I've, ne- I've never read I've never read a comic, but I've really got into the films. I, I just I just enjoy them. I just find them just great fun and just really enjoyable to see this uh, sort of network of stories and movies all come together at this one moment and it was just so satisfying and one of the the best things about it was Alan Silvestri's score because it just builds and builds and builds and then hits the the classic Avengers theme uh, which is a great piece of music anyway and I just I just beamed like a kid and that's what that's one of the many reasons why I love going to the cinema moments like that that just make me grin like a loon so my choice this week is portals from the avengers endgame soundtrack by the brilliant mr alan silvestri so that brings us to the end of another monkey see monkey review podcast uh, it's not been as big an epic as uh, last episode uh, thankfully we've been a little bit a uh, little bit sharper but less to talk about today uh, but we'll be back very soon in the meantime there are a few things that we would uh, love for you to do for us if you can uh, please subscribe to this podcast uh, from wherever you get your podcasts from if you're listening to us via either apple podcasts or podchaser uh, we are available pretty much pretty much everywhere now i believe uh, but through those two particular uh, podcast providers they offer the opportunity to uh, give reviews and star ratings please if you're listening to us and you're enjoying the podcast give us a star rating we'd love to we'd love to hear from you and give us a review as well because we'd love to know what you think we we know you're out there listening i do check the stats but it'd just be nice to hear from me just to let us know what you're thinking uh, we also have an instagram page where i promote new episodes and little bits of movie news and what we're watching that is monkey see monkey review so if you search that on instagram you'll be able to find it we're also on twitter which is one of the easiest ways of getting hold of us uh, at msmr pod and we're also on Facebook. If you search for Monkey See Monkey Review on Facebook, then again, I post up periodic reviews. I also post movie news and let you know when new podcasts are released. In addition, we're also on Letterboxd. So both myself and Kev. Kev, do you want your Letterboxd giving out, mate? Yeah, do you have it there? I do indeed. So for me... Oh, yes, please. That'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's Scotty MSMR. And for the lovely Mr. Haney, he is Kev H. <laughs> there there Kev, yeah, Kev, Kev H. H. That's me. Yep. And I've got a nice little picture of Swingers as my profile picture. So you know which is it. the Swingers, the wonderful John Favreau Vince Vaughn film from, uh, or Doug Lyman directed film from the 90s. And that's one I think. We, one of my favourites. I think that's one that we need to pick up in the future as well, Kev, because it's, yeah, such a great film. <laughs> yeah, it's terrific. 
And so if you want to email us at any point, we're also on the email at msmrpod at gmail.com. What I'm going to do is on the show notes for this episode, I'm going to put all of our links or all of our search terms that you need to be able to get hold of us. Uh, But yeah, drop us a line. Let us know that you're out there listening. And most of all, thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you again for your input as always. And as ever... Oh, I just, pleasure. I, I, I blooming oh. love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank yeah, it's great. Always a pleasure. As always, it's uh, the pleasure's all mine. So thank you both very much. And until next time, most importantly, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and we'll see you again for another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Bye, Bye-bye. lovelies. Cheerio. <laughs>